If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. And after uh, about 12 minutes of technical difficulties with our <laughs> audio, we are here with Ingrid Duket. So Ingrid, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Sterling. Thank you very much for the invitation. So Ingrid, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what you were doing before real estate, how you got into real estate and what you're doing today? Yeah, of course. So it all started back in 2014. I'm actually an engineer by trade. I work. I used to work in the nuclear power field and it was 2014, like August. And that was my first actual experience of a major layoff of my company. Yeah. Before that, it was mainly like, you know, it's always we've been coded to go to school and right after school, you need to go get a corporate job. And if you have a good corporate job with a pension or one kid, then you've made it. And that was my goal to begin with pretty much. Right. So 2014 came around and then the major layoffs like my department got reduced by 70 percent in a, in one day in 10 minutes. So after that, I had no idea what real estate was, but I came home and I told my husband, we need to do something else. We need to have a plan B. So real estate became like plan B per se back then. And we got into it. 2014, we purchased our first property in Atlanta, Georgia. It's about 20 minutes north of Atlanta, Georgia. And I knew nothing like Sterling. I knew nothing about real estate. I have not listened to any podcasts. I didn't know what bigger pockets was like nothing. I just knew that I needed to get into real estate. It's a, an asset. We're not making more land. It just made sense to me at that time. So we invested everything into real estate. After that, it was a learning curve, our first property. But then I decided that banks, I was only so much lever- le- leverage with my salary, right? Like I had an income of like 57000 as an engineer. And I realized that banks are more open to lending you more money if you make more money, right? So I took that and I actually worked into a strategy of how I can increase my salary in order to become more attractive for banks. So from 2014 to 2018, I focused pretty much on doing that in how can I increase my salary? How can I become more nice client for banks per se. In 2018, I made it to a certain salary range that banks were lending me money. And from 2018 to now, I grew from one unit to 60 plus units right now. And it's been insane. I left my W-2 job. I was in management and I left my W-2 job back in April this year. And right now I'm a full-time real estate investor. Awesome. Awesome. So I love that story because it's my story. Um, (laughs) Um, That's, that's great. So, so many parts of that story hit home and, you know, I I bet everybody called you crazy when you said, I'm going to quit being an engineer to go buy rental properties, right? Yes. Like when I told my parents, I mean, I'm from Colombia, so we're immigrants. And I told my parents, you know, I'm quitting my job and my parents were like, wait, why? You have a good job. And I'm like, I know, but this is so much potential, but but you have a pension. I'm like, I know, but this is a good, you know, this being an, and that's the way I explain that to them, being an employee to a good company, it's great, but your income is limited. And being an investor or entrepreneur, like there's no limit to your income. It's really dependent on you. Like if you want to keep working hard, you can keep making more money pretty much. 
Yeah. So I, I, it's funny. I recall a, a conversation with my brother I was having like a few years after I like started investing because it was very similar. Everybody got laid off and I'm like, what the hell? I need a safety net. And then it mm-hmm. kind of like blew up from there. But, but I remember like I, I had a really good job and, and, um, and like you, I, I kept, con- once I started buying real estate, I'm like, well, I need more money to buy more real estate. I need more yes. money to borrow more money. So I like <laughs> got a bunch of promotions. Like it made me better at work to, to, you know, to buy real estate. So, and, and then I remember specifically a conversation I was having with my brother. He's like, Hey, you know, that's cool and all that you buy in the real estate, but just so you know, when I'm bragging about you to my friends, it's about your big shot job at XYZ company. It's not about, you know, that you buy houses. And I said, well, maybe we'll change that one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now it's very much flip-flop. So um, that's, that's an awesome story. I love hearing it. Um, I want to dive into the the houses um i want to hear about you know what kind of houses you buy um that deep dive into some numbers how you bought them with the how the how they're cash flowing tell me uh tell me about tell me about the first deal okay so first deal it was a three bedroom two bathroom house siding and it was located it is located because i still have it in marietta uh marietta georgia which is located 25 minutes north of Atlanta. And I chose that location because I was familiar with that location. I grew up close to Marietta. I knew that the schools were good. It was very up and coming. And what I liked about, especially in Atlanta, traffic is horrible. People hate traffic. So one of my criteria is that my properties have to be located within three miles. No more. Less is even better, but three miles from a major interstate. So this property is like 0.5 0.5 miles from a major interstate. So it hit all the checks pretty much. We went in. I didn't even see it. I was actually working in Pennsylvania when I bought this house. So I had an agent. I contacted an agent. Like, hey, go see it. And he saw it. He took a date. I'm like, yes, let's put an offer. We put an offer. It was $2,000 over asking. So $70,000. It was $72,000. It was 2014. So houses were selling like hotcake. So I was like, I'm going to pay more. It's fine. And we bought this property. And we spent about $3,000 with our credit card to paint it in the inside and that's where we first made our first mistake or i made my first mistake because we were painting and cleaning and this one person came he saw it he's like i'll rent it from you i'm like great and then he's like okay here's three months worth of rent up front and the deposit i'm like awesome i did that i didn't do any vetting no checking of the income none of that i was like brand new newbie like had no idea what i was doing and he became my first eviction actually because after three months (laughs) he stopped paying rent so a lot of learnings with this first house bought the house and then again, eviction two months later, well, three months. And then two months later after that, he was out again. We went back, cleaned everything. And this one person came again and we did do the whole process of income verification, rental, rental references and employment, all that stuff. He passed and he's been there since 2015, actually. So all this time he's been with us and he just renewed for another two years. So we're happy with that one. So that was my first experience. And when everything was going on with the eviction, I told my husband, this sucks. I should have not done this. You know, I don't know why I got into real estate. But again, I take responsibility of that because I went into this without knowing. It's like jumping into a swimming pool with no idea how to swim and then blaming other people because you're about to drown. <laughs> so yeah. that happened to me, but I knew better. I learned a lot during that whole year. I started getting into bigger pockets, re- uh, real estate media, uh, meetings and meetups locally. 
And I started, you know, networking more with people. And that's how I got into, hey, I need to make more money if I want to buy more real estate. Again, a lot of learning and stepping stones through the whole journey. And that's from 2014, first property to 2018. That's where I focus on my career. Now, in 2018, I was like, you know, I had done so much in my career. Promotions, like you mentioned, I made more money. Banks were willing to give me more money on loans. And that's when I went back into the market. I'm like, okay, so I need to start looking for houses, looking for houses. At that time, though, four years had gone by. So north of Georgia, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. Yes. Skyrocketed. So what happened now? I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I waited for years. Now I need to pay $200,000 in cash because that's how what the market is. Right. And that's why I started like noticing that on the south. So we have 285, right? In Atlanta. South is, you know, Forest Park, College Park, Riverdale area. I started seeing properties that were like, you know, $50,000. Nobody wants to move there. And then I realized, you know what? I'm going to try it out. I'm going to see. I investigated the area, the rent. The rent were like, you know, $900, $1,000 at that time. So I bought a two bedroom, one bathroom brick house close to Forest Park. And I bought that one for $52,000. I bought it. Great. And then something interesting that occurred was it got renovated, painted, and then we sent, we put the listing online. And within the 24 hours, we had like 40 applicants. It was insane. And then I started noticing like in my application, I have one question that says, what's the reason for moving? Like, I want to know why you're moving. And I would say 85 to 90% of the people were telling me that they were living up north and the rents were so high that they had to relocate south. And then I told my husband, oh, we're going to start buying like Buy crazy. I don't know them, yes. So that's what we did. We bought that house and then we started buying another one, another one, another one. Like my portfolio is heavily in the south now, but that's the rents now are like insane. So that's how I pivoted my strategy from going from north. And I just started listening to people like, why are you moving? Why are you moving? And then as soon as I started hearing the same reason, I was like, we're going to start buying like crazy in the south. And we did. So now we have duplexes and single families in the mix. So does it still make sense to buy in that area or is that caught up with the North appreciation? So it is still going up. For instance, the one that I bought for $52,000, i am renting for $1,300 now. And it's appreciated. I think it's like $175,000 now, that one property. So appreciation is still there. It's not as fast as the properties on the North. But we are still seeing a change of how, again, people are relocating from places that have been gentrified. We're talking about a house that used to be 100,000. Now it's like 700,000 near downtown. So people need to be living somewhere. So now they're relocating south. We're still seeing that. Now, as I go through my journey, I try to pay attention to nuggets like that. You know, what's happening with the market? And I try to not completely flip my strategy, but adapt to what the market right. is doing. So right. that's one way that I adopted, moving south, buying as much as I could in the south. Now with COVID, it was a little different because I did have a couple of duplexes, you know, two units uh, properties. And then with COVID, I started realizing we are getting an influx of traveling nurses <laughs> and they need to be close to hospitals. So what I started doing with those two units properties, I started doing midterm rental on one of them. So for one bedroom, one bathroom, I'm charging like $1,800 pretty much nice. in Atlanta, even close to like hotel, I mean, close to hospitals or clinics and stuff like that. So again, it's a matter of like pivoting slightly 
with your strategy to what the market is saying. So right now I do have a mix of midterm rentals and long-term rentals and short-term rentals. Awesome. 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 Yeah. We have uh we like South, South of Atlanta. I have a 54 unit in Noonan. Oh, Noonan. Yes. It's another one. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> So that's why I was at. I've, I've, every time I go visit the property, I want to like stay a while and and target some of the single families around that area. Mm-hmm. That's why I was asking them: Did they still do they still make sense to yeah. buy? Does it still make sense to cash flow? Um, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of markets today are you know it's 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 getting hard, especially with the interest rate. So where we're at today, you know, our market moves so so. I got to timestamp our conversation as of October fifth. We're in this weird environment where like the mm-hmm. sellers haven't quite realized what's happening yes. in the market. So they still yeah. want top dollar, mm-hmm. but the interest rates are obnoxiously high too. So now you're like, you're really fighting a, a cash flow battle there, you know, with the mm-hmm. high prices and the high rates. So how is Never your how, how is your acquisition strategy changed in, in today's market? What are you what are you are you doing anything different? So I am doing something different and I would say I'm still looking because I have my own portfolio and then I have joint ventures with other individuals. So like I quit my job about four months ago or five months ago now. And I'm actually focusing on this year or for the first, you know, second and third quarter going into the fourth quarter. I'm focusing on stabilizing my portfolio. Now I am a true believer and this is my own opinion that we do, we need cash. Like we need to make sure that we are liquid to some extent. I do believe, like you said, that sellers are still kind of like, oh, I think I still can get a lot of money for my property. But I think slowly I'm noticing, you know, 5% drop in their prices and properties are staying longer on the market. I do believe opportunities are going to come. So I'm trying to become more liquid or have accessibility to credit. What I'm doing with my properties in Atlanta, the ones that I have there, I'm actually getting lines of credit on them to utilize. So uh, was it maybe like two or three weeks ago? Yeah, three weeks ago, I got a $500,000 line of credit because I have so much equity in those properties. What I'm utilizing, no, I'm, I'm doing two things right now. I'm doing, I'm stabilizing my units. I'm making sure that the rents are up to market, make sure that, you know, tenants are happy, maintaining their properties. And then I did all of that before I got the lines of credit. So when the bank went, they would see, oh, this house has been renovated. Now you have a 12-month lease charging $2,100 in rent. So it becomes more attractive and it helps me get more in, on this line of credit. So I'm utilizing that. And with this fund that I'm doing, I'm also looking into ways I can diversify my portfolio. So I am looking still into acquiring more multi-units, you know, 10 units, five units, single family homes, but I'm not just sitting still. Like I'm still working to make sure that my money is working. So I'm passively investing in private equity funds that are more diversified. So my money is not only just sitting there, I still have some money that I can utilize through line of credits. I'm not paying any interest rate because I'm not using them yet, but the ones that I am using, I'm using them in private equity funds where the equity multiplier can be like three times, five times. And I still get like an IRR of 25% every year. So I'm still making money, my money is still making money for me. So that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to like diversify my portfolio right now. Awesome. Awesome. Lots of great stuff there. So um, you mentioned you're investing passively in private equity funds. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. multifamily private equity funds, so large apartment syndications. Some, but not all of them. So I I have some of those are multifamilies, but actually there's other ones that are like oil and gas. And we're talking about as well as land development and I'm actually looking into one that's about coffee related. So coffee, it's kind of like green, the green coffee company. 
Yeah. Yes, Columbia. I agree. Yeah. Colombia, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like a and people like when I tell people, you know, they they ask me, you know, but do you, you don't know anything about them? I'm like, well, I need to know enough. And I need to find what's important is the operator. You don't need to be the expert as an investor, passive investor. You do not need to be an expert on the deals you're investing. You need to know what questions to ask. And you need to find yourself a reputable operator. So that's how I work. And I have a group of investors that we get together, we find deals, and okay, everybody tried to poke holes on this deal. And what's your concern? What's my concern? And it's kind of like a meeting of the minds. And again, everybody does their own due diligence, but in a way I'm also making sure that my mind is growing passively. Because what I'm doing with my own portfolio, I call that uh, real estate is not passive in my, if you're actively in there. Are you, are you managing your own properties? Yes, I am. Oh, you're working your ass off then. Yes, but not all of them. Because <laughs> I, not all, not all of them. I do have some that are like a thirty-four unit that we have a joint venture on. We do have a property manager for that. But everything else, I am managing my own portfolio. I call that uh, being passive aggressive because everything goes well until nothing goes well, <laughs> and then suddenly things break. But I do have like systems in place. So it's not like every day I'm like chatting with the tenants. I There's a system. They have a maintenance request. I review it. I send it to a technician or a contact technician. So that's fine. So I'm actively doing this and actively looking to increase my personal portfolio. But my money that I have is also working for me passively, like completely passively yeah. through syndications or other private equity funds. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. I uh, I interviewed the guys with the green coffee company a few months ago. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to, I thought it was, it sounded like a great project. I was going to invest, but I was in the middle of one of my own syndications and I had to mm-hmm. put all my money skin in the game, you know, alongside my investors, which is the only reason I didn't. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely considering it going forward. Um, what is something that you would have done differently knowing everything you know now, if you were to start, start over again? Okay. So this is going to sound like a cliche, honestly, but I would say, having starting to do meaningful networking and i highlight the word meaningful because me going to an event and saying hi sterling my name is ingrid and that's it that's not meaningful so establishing those meaningful relationships i would say earlier in my career would have like help me grow exponentially now. I realize that now, now that I'm with other investors and I'm working with other groups, that those relationships, like the opportunities that I've been able to go or even review or assess would have not been possible if I had not done meaningful networking with other individuals. So now they know my, they know Ingrid, they know that I invest, they know that I have capital to invest and we establish a relationship that I can come through with the money and they have established a relationship that they can produce a return. So they help you grow and they'll keep you in mind when they keep growing. So I would say that would be one of my number one things is meaningful networking. Absolutely. And what is, what's next for you? What's next on the agenda? How are you going to level up from here? So my, my goal would be to work into my own private equity fund. That's what I really want to dig into. Because when I was growing up, those opportunities, I didn't know they existed for people like me, pretty much. Like I, I, did, I thought that those were only possible for people that had like you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. The more I realizes those opportunities are out there, it's just that it all depends on the circles that you move in, pretty much. And I want to provide those opportunities for other people that may not know about it. So that's what I'm heading towards. I'm still growing my real estate portfolio, but I still want to help other people grow their wealth. Meet like both of us can grow our wealth together pretty much. Awesome. And when you say private equity 
fund. You mean a real estate private equity fund, or you want to do these oil? No, real estate. No, I will say real estate. Yes, for that, I would definitely stay with real estate. And for oil and gas, there's other people that are smarter than me in those fields. Sure. Yes, I could never wrap my head around the oil and gas stuff. Um, it's interesting. I never, I, ne- I never tried that hard, but like, yeah. But like, I, I, I glanced at it for a few minutes. I'm like, ah, I'll just stick to what I know how to do. Um, yeah. So when you, with your ambitions to go into private equity fund, or, or would you continue what has been working well for you in the single family space? Or would you, would you think you would look at much larger multifamily projects? I'm willing to do it. Like I like single family homes just because of how they can rent really quickly. But right now I've also seen that I would stay between the five unit and about 20 units. Those, I think that's my, my good point for me, staying between those lines for like multifamilies. And I do like, I've done syndications before as an LP, but I like the joint venture aspect of it. I like working with people together to into a product and developing this multifamily, making it better for tenants. So I would say right now, my preference would be five to about 20, 25 units. I like that. Single family home, if it makes sense, I'm not going to say no. If it makes sense, I'll run the numbers and I'll buy the single family home. My focus is more like multi, small multifamilies right now. Awesome. And, and do they have a lot of small multifamilies in the area that you invest in? There are some, but I've noticed I've done a few LOIs with my partner on those, but we are getting to a point where the sellers, they still, like you said, they still think, Hey, I'm asking, what's it? 1.9 million for this. And we had one like that South of Atlanta. We ran the numbers and they said 1.9 and I ran the numbers and everything. I was like, now we're going to give you this offer. And it was less than 1.9. And they came back to us with 2.3. I'm like, okay, we did not get the point. <laughs> So yeah, like they're still thinking they can push those prices. I still touch bases with the agents and the owners. Hey, I've you know I've seen that you still are online, like on the market six months after my LOI. You know, okay. no, they, they still want the price. Like okay, I'll still touch bases with you. Eventually, if they've been on the market for seven months, I mean, that has to tell you something. So sure, sure. Still working on that. Yeah. Awesome. So, what advice do you have for somebody who's just getting started? Uh, getting started, I would say get a coach or get a mentor or join a mastermind. And the reason for that is we tend to try to save as much money as possible at the beginning because we want to do everything ourselves. You want to make sure you're the one to paint because, you know, a painter's going to charge you $600, right? So you can do it in a week <laughs> when a painter can do it in a day. So I would say, and that happened to me too at the beginning was I was thinking, you know, this is so much money for a mastermind. It's so much money for a coach. But what you don't realize is the value that that brings. If you choose the right mastermind or the right coach, they're going to save you time and going to help you prevent doing mistakes. If they can help you not do 20 mistakes, right there, it paid off. Honestly, yeah. they also have a network of people that you can talk to. So I would say instead of focusing on saving a penny, focus on how you can make a dollar. How can I utilize this whatever $2,000 mastermind? How can I make my money's worth or take my money's worth out of it? I would say that's the mistake that I made. I thought all oh, that was too expensive and I was not going to benefit from it. But now that I do have a mentor, I do see and I've joined masterminds. I do see that. OK, so yes, it's this much money. But because of this much money, I'm going to grow my net worth this much. 
Yeah. It's totally worth it. And you that's know, where people get stuck. I used to be real anti-guru and, mm-hmm. and, and after interviewing so many successful investors, I've just seen so many across my table. I'm like, well, what'd you do? And I'm like, well, I gave Joe Fairless $25,000 and he taught me how to do this. Or I gave yeah. blah, 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 $50,000 and he taught me how to do this. And after just hearing that and seeing those success stories mm-hmm. over and over and over for me, it wasn't an option because I didn't have any money when I started. And like mm-hmm. by the, by the time I had money, I knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I wish, you know what I mean? I, I mm-hmm. like the idea. I like, you know, I like the concept. I've seen so many people succeed from that and succeed a lot mm-hmm. faster and and just blow away by me in a much shorter period of time because of that. Um, but but it's it's not an option for everybody, you know? When, yeah, when, when you, that's correct. And something else that you need to think about is it all depends on where you are with your journey. Like you don't need to start up front paying $30,000 for like a multi-family syndication like that's a lot of money but they're gonna be other people that you may have to pay them you know hundred dollars for an hour make sure that you're very prepared for that hour and you have your questions in place and maybe you don't drink coffee or go to starbucks for like a two or three weeks right save the money pay someone that has been very successful or has been doing what you want to be doing and ask the questions right away. Like, hey, I'm trying to do, I don't know, in this case, like in my case, line of credits. Why do I need in order to be prepared for that? And okay, X, Y, Z, this is what you need to do. Here's the list. You know, here are the banks you need to talk to. So many banks, these are the questions you need to ask. All of this. Something that, for instance, took me about two, three months, four months of constantly talking to people. If you ask the right questions, now you have like an outline of what to do, what not to do. So, and then as you evolve in your career, then you're going to change mentors. Like maybe no longer, you don't want to do lines of credit, but you don't want to do, maybe now you want to do duplexes. Then as you start making money, then your goals and what you need is going to change. And at that point, you can maybe get a better mentor or like a different mentor for a different goal in a different mastermind. So you don't have to start off with paying thousands of dollars, just maybe an hour here, an hour there, strategize, make sure, hey, I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars on this person, whatever the number is. And it's gonna give me an outline that can take me two, three months in the future. So evolve as you go through your journey. So what, I got a quick question. What Mm -hmm. is, what is your buying criteria today for a single family house? Like, what are you looking to be all in for? You know, what percentage of ARV are you looking to be all in for? How does it need a cash flow? Like, how do you decide whether or not you want to buy a house these days? So right now, what I'm looking when I see single family homes, I need to make sure that I have a return of investment an ROI of at least minimum 12 to 15%. So you're putting money down and you're leaving it in the deal. You're buying. I'm putting money. Yes. Because what I'm doing right now, I'm using some my lines of credit. I do have cash, but I have cash work, working on other areas. So I'm using my lines of credit. So if I'm going to do a house right now, this moment, I need to make sure that it satisfies the interest rate that I'm paying on my line of credit and it gives me an extra more. So I take that 10, 12% that is, whatever my 12 to 15%, that's what I said. So I take that into my calculations. Now I, I'm able to pay cash because still cash is king still today when it's like single family home. So I pay cash, I do the renovation, everything. And then I look into refinancing and the refinance, I already did the map with 12 to 15%, right? So the refinance, depending on the rates, I think the latest one that someone quoted me was like 7.5, closer to 7.5%. So it's still high, but my numbers work with 
12 to 15%. So 7.5%, I'm still making money. It still satisfy my numbers. So I still, I can, can do a refinance. I don't refinance everything out of the house. I refinance the amount that I need to do to pay off my line of credit. That way I still have equity in the house. I can yeah. build on it and then I can get another line of credit on this property pretty much. So, yeah. So early on, I got greedy and I refinanced everything out. So, oh, no. <laughs> when I first started burning houses, you yeah. know, up and refinancing them, I would, I would like, like, oh, you'll give me 80%. Well, how much do you want? 80%. 80%. Right. Yes. And then I got down the road and I go, well, those, those aren't cash flowing very well. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Maybe so I, should, I need, yeah. You should have done 65, you know. 65, 60. So I do enough to pay off my line of credit. I pay it off and I leave the rest in equity. Because otherwise, and they're going to be paying like a $2,000 mortgage in a $2,200 rent. I'm only going to cash flow 200 of that. So I only I only make sure that I, I take out whatever my line of credit is. That's awesome. So uh, real quick, I want to hop to our radio round to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. It's just three quick questions. So Uh the first one is, what's your favorite book? My favorite book, I would say, I think, let me see. Oh, I have, what is it? How to influence, no, how to make friends, no, how to win friends and influence. Influence people. Yes, by Dale Carnegie. Yes. Yeah. I like that one because we are in the relationship business Yes, and it helps a lot. I love yes. that book. And there's another book that it's not really real estate, but it talks about the principles of empowering leadership. Uh, and that's if you're doing like, if you're building your own team, if, especially mm-hmm. if you're growing your company and you're going to build your own team, you want to make sure that you have value people as leaders in your team. And this one is Turn This Ship Around by David Marquette. Okay. And it talks about how leaders can develop leaders to run their own companies pretty much. So if I have, if I want to be off hands with my company, I want to make sure that I hire a good leader that can yeah. lead the team. That way I'm not the one leading all the time. So that one's a good book that I liked. That is definitely something I need to pick up. Um, as far as, as far as uh, when friends and influence people, that's always been one of my favorites. I, mm-hmm. uh, it's like my, uh, it's like my starter pack. Like the, I say, I always say yeah. like the, the three books I'm going to have my kids read in high school are how to win friends and influence people, um, think and grow rich and, um, yes. and, uh, rich dad, poor dad, you know? Yeah. Like that's a, it's a base starter level. A, a good base foundation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, yeah. And, and and I apologize because I didn't give you a heads up. I usually give guests a heads up. But uh, what, what's your favorite quote? Do you have a favorite quote that you like? I do. I do like a, and I think this highlights the whole having valued a network, like a meaningful networking. And it's this quote from uh, Isaac Newton that says, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders, the shoulders of giants. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if someone that is very successful tells you that they made it by themselves, they're lying, they're full of crap, honestly. It's all about relationships and networking. And I think that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? When I'm not working, I love going hiking. I like going hiking and, you know, trails. We've gone with my husband and we have um, a dog, actually. She's an Australian Shepherd Poodle mix, so she's Uh very active. And she loves going on hikes with us. So camping, hiking, we love doing that. We love traveling as well. So that's what I do when I'm not focused on my business. Awesome. Now, how can our listeners learn about you and get in touch with you and follow you? 
So I do have my own personal website, you know, Ingrid Duque at dot com pretty much www.ingrid2deeds at the end and duke for my last name dot com and then in instagram i'm pretty active i'm more active now than i was before and that's going to be at engineer dot on that fire i created that account when i was an engineer back then so engineer on fire yes awesome you can change the name i did that <laughs> i've been thinking about it because i've got some ideas and i'm like would that really have an impact that's what i'm like debating so yeah. i'm still thinking what know. was yours before? What was yours before? What is it? So I changed mine. I started, mm-hmm. I, I changed my mind all the time about the social media stuff and the branding stuff. Cause I have a, like, I have like a plethora mm-hmm. of things that I'm, that I like juggle. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've got like my personal brand, like Sterling Chapman. Right. And then I've mm-hmm. got, I've got the rent roll radio show. So like when I first started Instagram, yeah. it was like rent roll radio. And then I started a, a like a, and then I started a personal one for Sterling Chapman. And then, and then on Facebook, I had like Sterling Chapman. And then I had like a rent roll radio page. And then I had Crestworth Capital, which is my syndication business. And I was like, and then I had another mm-hmm. page. And and then I, I also flip houses and I have a bunch of rental properties and stuff. So I'm like putting out content like that. And where to put the content and how to manage all the different accounts drove me crazy. And so <laughs> yeah. I I ended up closing the like the personal, and I just now I just have one one Instagram and it's just my name, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and now I just, I have, I still have the two Facebook pages, but it's, it is, it's, it's a work in progress. I change it all the time. I can't ever decide, you know, I, I go through phases where I'm like, well, I really want to lean on the podcast. I'm gonna call everything the rent roll radio show. And then I'm like, well, no, I really want to like, you know, do all my branding through Crestworth capital. Cause that's the end result is raising capital to buy these apartment complexes. And then, and then I kind of get through these like phases where I'm like, no, I mean, you know, if, if I just, if I, you know, I own my name, you know what I mean? Like I could just, mm-hmm. if I could just have people associate Sterling Chapman with all the real estate stuff. So I don't know. I probably need an advisor. I probably need to like pay some like, like a marketing, marketing some, yes. adv- I have a marketing, like an in-house marketing guy who does all my stuff, but he doesn't like, he's not like a, an advisor, like put together like a plan. Like this is, this is how you need to attack the market, you know? So I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Still a work in progress for me too. I feel like I need to hire like a coach, like a social yeah. media marketing coach or something. Well, they they got them on Instagram. I, I, get, they do. You know, I get I get messaged by about fifty a day. Now, how legit they are, I have no idea. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ingrid, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. It was great getting to know you. It sounds like you're killing it over in Atlanta, and uh, I look. I'm glad we were able to connect, and I look forward to keeping up with you in your journey. Awesome. Thanks for the invite, Starling. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.